and says, love one another. Be devoted one to the other. Honor the person beside you over yourself. Honor one another more than yourself. Share with whoever is in need. And practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Some people are some people are really gifted with that. It just comes really easy for some of us. We need to practice it. And, and, and what I'd love to encourage you over the summer is that you, you would begin to exercise that hospitality muscle. You begin to practice hospitality. And and, and so my so my thought I suppose this morning. Um. I had two thoughts actually this morning, but I think we're going to go with one. I think there's. I think God just wants to, to maybe rubber stamp where it feels we've been going in this idea of being so familiar with David Sure, being so familiar with the go that it can end up being not fueled by the great commandment. We can be so familiar with the great commission and it can end up being not fueled by this commandment to love God and to love each other, to love our neighbor as ourself. And so suppose this morning I'd love to spend the, the, these moments that we have left inviting you and asking you and challenging you to focus on the one. Ultimately, ultimately, God is the one. But I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to ask you about our ability to, to focus on, on one. Remember in the verse again, Neville pointed it out last Sunday morning. You're probably going to find me alluding to Neville a lot this morning. I really loved last Sunday morning. And uh, he reminded us of that verse in, in the start of Genesis, right at the beginning. Each one, every, every human, each one of us is made in the image of God. Each one of us formed and fashioned. Each one of us fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one made in his image. It's my challenge to you as you as you go on holidays, as you engage with different people, maybe in different countries and in different places that you wouldn't normally be at. Is it is it that simple verse would be at the forefront of your mind as you go to the check in desk at your if you're lucky enough to be going on a plane, as you as you engage with the hostesses on the aeroplane? that it would maybe just be at the forefront of your mind. God, they are made in your image. They are your image bearers. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, and I would love it that that, that would, what we would challenge ourselves with this morning. Neville, Neville talked about ushering in the lonely. Ushering in the one. Ushering in the ones. And and, and I love that, that I've grown up in... in with, with with parents of love that have grown up in an environment where Matthew chapter twenty five is is really familiar, it's a familiar verse, and uh, and rather than rather than being so presumptuous to uh, to presume that everybody knows these verses, Matthew twenty five says this in verse in verse thirty one. The Son of Man will come and all the angels with him. He will sit on his throne. All the nations will be gathered and they will separate the people one from another. And the king will say to those on the right, Come you who are blessed, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
And here's these verses that, I, that I've grown up being so familiar with. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And here is the kicker. Here is the, the left hook. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. And it goes on to say about you didn't. I was thirsty. I was hungry and you didn't give me something to, to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. I was naked and you never clothed me. I was without somewhere to go. I was, without, I was, a, I was a stranger and nobody took me in. It's the verses like these that caused me to become so passionate about fostering and adoption. Because as Bridget looks at the Jimmy Lee and Emma and Nathans of this world, she looks and sees one that, that nobody will give them a home. I mean, Judith spent a whole week wrecked with the injustice of how we Nathan can be come to the end of September and nobody's going to take him in. He's going to end up in, at the age of 13 in in a home because nobody took him in. And it wrecks me. And it, it stirs something up in me because I recognize something in these verses in Matthew 25. And we've managed to ignore them. We've managed to be able to recite them really well. I can become really proud that I can recite these verses. And... Uh, And you know, there's people like Bridget that, that, that see there's no one to take them in, and so I'll take them in because because I'm doing it unto him. Whatever I've done to the least of these, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for you, Jesus. Mother Teresa, when she was asked about her ministry, she said, she said, each one of them is Jesus in disguise. Each one of them is Jesus in disguise. But I, I, I want to. I want to commend my parents. I want to commend family. I want to commend the people that I've grown up with my whole life. Because I, 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 the, I've become familiar with these verses, but actually see the example. To see it being lived out has been one of the most profound learning things in my whole, my whole journey. In trying to grow and become more like Jesus. Because it would be easy to, to celebrate 26 nations. It would be easy for drop in to, to, to jump and shout about the money that they give away. And, and the statistics would be incredible. We could, we could put up, I don't even think we'll have them, but we could put up statistics that would just amaze you. But mum and dad and others that have been around mum and dad have never, have never compromised, have never, have never pursued the stats and the big numbers at the expense of the one. And Daria is here because, because we have people that will not get consumed and caught up by the, by the crowds, by the stats, by the numbers. But they'll pursue the one. Whatever we do unto the 
the least, whatever we do, the most rejected, the most vulnerable, the most isolated we do unto him. And Robert and Lois have spent the last month, nine months doing that. Amelia has spent the last number of months doing that. Robert, Paul and Sharon have spent the last ten days doing that. Ian spends his life doing that in Craigavon to the least. Kelly does it to the least in Belarus, to the kids' home in, in Belarus where they're rejected, where they're abandoned, where they're isolated. Uh, my, one of my favorite authors is, is a guy called Greg Boyd, and he shared a story recently. Uh, I was reading one of his books, and he shared a story in one of the opening chapters, one of the, one of the eighth or ninth chapter in his book. And, uh, and he talks about how he finished off his service. He preached a message. He closed in prayer. And then he came down to the side of the platform, as he always did. And some people would have came and, and talked to him or asked for prayer or, or whatever. And, and, uh, and he, recalls this one, he recalls this one time. He, he went through his routine. He came down at the platform. And the first person to him, and in his words, the first person to arrive uh, uh, in line was uh, a larger lady with a tattered stained dress, greasy hair, stinking of cigarettes, and a front tooth missing. And he says she began to ramble on, and he had no idea what she was trying to say. She was, he couldn't, he couldn't make out the point that she was trying to get at. And he found himself getting frustrated. And he found himself getting even more frustrated because right behind him, waiting in line, was was a guy he'd been waiting to, to connect with for a long time. He, he headed up a, an important and an influential ministry, and, and he'd seen him, that this guy was next in line, and this, this lady was rambling on. And he, he actually said, he tried to tell her, there's other people waiting, you need to move on, and she ignored him completely and continued to talk. And, and he says in that moment he remembered this teaching. He says, as clear as day, he remembered, the, he remembered Jesus' teaching from Matthew 25. And he remembered the words of Jesus, that the way that we treat the least is the way that we treat him. In that moment, he felt the Holy Spirit speak. He says he felt like there was a still, small voice, and the Holy Spirit said, this lady is my precious daughter. This lady is my precious daughter, and she's radiant. She is radiant to me, and you need to treat her like the queen that she is. What a, what a stinging, what a stinging rebuke, I suppose. And do you know I read that? I read that story when I was on holidays, and, and immediately I, I thought of one person. And then it began as a, I almost wish it never started into this train of thinking. So I started to think about how I look at the person that sells the, the big issue on the side of the road. I started to think about how I, I, I remain attached to my phone as, I, as I'm walking through the, the counter to pay for goods at the, at the fruit field. What do you call that? Shop? I can't even remember the word I'm looking And uh, I s and on my phone, completely ignorant, completely oblivious to the one that's in front of me. I couldn't help but think, and, and some of you will not know this man, 
and some of you will, I couldn't help but think of Tony. And uh, Tony is now 70, and Tony's had a really difficult life. Times have been really hard for Tony. And sometimes I find myself in the tin house waiting for a meeting. Uh, sometimes almost believe in my own importance because of the next person that I'm about to meet. And before that person comes in, Tony will inevitably at some stage walk through the door. And Tony wants to talk, and Tony wants to tell you where he's been that day. And Tony's in conversation, and, I, and I'm like, oh, this person's arrived, Tony, you're going to have to move on. But I'm, I'm believing that as we challenge ourselves with this, the Holy Spirit's going to make us so sensitive to those moments. And so I believe, I think, that the next time that, that Tony's in the tin house, I have this sneaky feeling that the Holy Spirit's going to do the same thing to me as he did with Greg Boyd. And as I engage with Tony, the Holy Spirit will remind me of the teaching of Jesus. And it remind me that, that Tony is a loved son. The father's absolutely passionate about Tony. He's absolutely passionate about that that ch- girl at the at the counter. Seems really bored. Seems really distracted. Wonders how life has ended up being at a till at a fruit field store in Rich Hill. My father wants to remind me that She's made in my image. I love her. I'm passionate about her. Treat her the way that she deserves to be treated. And if you ever forget it, if you've ever struggled to remember the value that I place on each individual, look to the cross. If you ever doubt the value, the worth that I place on an individual, look at the cross. Their value and their worth is wrapped up in what Jesus did for them on the cross. David took us through John 14 and reminded us of our remind us of our of our call, remind us of our purpose that we would experience love and give it away to the next person that we meet. And so I'd love you to be really honest. I'd love for for you to be really, really honest with yourselves and and in this moment think about the time this week. If you're anything like me, you'll not have to think back too far. Times where you had, where there was one sitting before you. There was one right before you and you ignored their worth. You forgot the value that Father placed on them. You forgot that like you, they're fearfully and wonderfully made, made in his image. They're radiant. He loves them. He's going to keep on pursuing them. And he's longing for his representatives representatives to, to represent them well. To represent his nature, represent his, his character. And you know, I, I, uh, I spent the first number of years, first number of years in, in, in church leadership being so impressed by numbers being so caught up with the crowds, 
being so caught up with the with the latest model of growth, with the latest statistic that would boost your numbers, that would boost your audience, and consumed by that almost. And it was, and I love that that every time I find myself in in, in times of conflict, every time I find myself in in periods of uncertainty or Just struggling to know what to do next, or struggling to know how to engage with something well. I'm so grateful that it's increasingly becoming my default to look to Jesus. That's incredible what Jesus did with the crowds. I don't think Jesus or anybody should dismiss for one minute the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the fact that towns and villages were coming to faith, were being healed, were being set free from the demonic. All of that was going on. But it's almost like Jesus wasn't that impressed by that. He wasn't caught up with the the mass healings. He wasn't necessarily caught up with the feeding of the, the thousands. But as we go through every near every other page in the Gospels, we see that he always went after the one. That was his example. It's almost like, and he did incredible work within the crowds, but it was almost like he was always, every time we see him, it was almost like he's always moving away from the crowds. I found myself, you know, the whole of my Christian experience and the whole of Christian leadership trying to go towards the crowds. That's the trajectory I want to go. I'm going to go where the crowds are at, where the numbers are at, where the seeming success is at. And then I go to Jesus, and Jesus always seems to be moving away from the crowds, getting back to the twelve or, or getting back just to Peter, James, and John, ultimately making his way to that solitary place where he would be with just the Father. And that's really challenging to me, the, the trajectory that Jesus took. He is, he is our example. And if you were just to take a a flick through the pages of your New Testament, through the pages of the Gospel, you'll see over and over again, I think especially in Mark 2, especially in the Gospel of Mark. It starts off in, in, uh, actually I think it's right at the start. It's Mark 1, I think it's, yeah, Mark 1 has has the story of of Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law. It's like it's one wee verse, but Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it. It's one wee verse, but it's almost right at the start of Jesus' ministry. Like they're riding the crest of a wave. They're like they can't believe that they've been invited in on this. The disciples are stunned by this. The crowds have gathered. The synagogues are full. Everybody is amazed at the teaching of Jesus. We're told they're stunned, and the disciples. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that some of the disciples are. I'm, they're like me. And they're pumped. This is it. The crowds are following us. Everything is being is going when we command. Every, we're witnessing this. We're being invited in on this. This is incredible. But I think Jesus began, even from the outset of his ministry, he set this precedent that even when the synagogues were full, even when the activity in the streets was booming, I, I, I almost picture the scene that Jesus walking into the house uh, of Simon and and realizing that his that his mother in law was sick, the disciples all the all the commotion of the and the excitement as the house is filled with chatter as they get ready to to have something to eat, 
It's filled with stories. It's filled with testimonies. It's filled with reports of all that went on with the crowd. And, and I picture Jesus slipping off to where the one is. Slipping off to where Simon Peter's, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick. And he made his way to the one and he reached out his hand and touched her and healed her. And then she went and served him. We get the next chapter, we get the Mark chapter 2 and we, again the activity, it's just constant activity, constant buzz. And uh, and we get to the man with, with leprosy. And I love this. And it's so profound. It, the crowds were following. There was, just a, there was just a wave of excitement. And look out of the corner of his eye, Jesus sees one that has been rejected, that has been tossed to the side, that has been abandoned, that has been, lies have been spoken over him. Lies have been spoken over his destiny. And, uh, and out of the corner of his eye, Jesus sees him. And we're told this incredible words that Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus was filled with compassion. And he stopped and he reached out and he touched. And he healed him. He continued to pursue the one. We get to Mark chapter 5 and we see the woman that, that couldn't stop bleeding. She was bleeding for 12 years. And she was bustling her way through the crowd. She'd been dismissed. She had no money left. They'd have thought that there was something wrong with her. There was sin in her life. And so they would have, they would have began to, to shun this lady. She tried every doctor. She tried everything to see what was wrong. And they couldn't find out what was wrong with her. And after bleeding for 12 years, Jesus walks through in the midst of all the crowd, in the midst of all the activity. She manages to reach out and touch Jesus. And she's healed. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's great. What an incredible testimony that she's healed. That would be enough for many to know that that she's been healed, to know that she's been set free after 12 years of sickness, after years of rejection, after years of poverty. But Jesus turns around, he wants to know where she is. He is so passionate about the one. He is so consumed with longing for the one that he stops all of the activity, stops everything that's going on amongst the crowds and wants to know where the one is that touched him. Where is the one that, that laid hands on my garment? Where is the one that caused power to come out from me? We could, we could literally do this all morning. Mark chapter 7. Jesus, with the, with the man that's was, he was deaf and he was mute. And there's a crowd around him. But Jesus wants to look him in the eye. Jesus wants to take him to the side. And, and we're told that Jesus took him away from the crowd. And he was moved with compassion for this man. And he, and he healed him. It's getting close to lunchtime, so we'll not remind yourselves of how he healed him. Spitting mud. And... Uh, but, but it keeps going. He, he did the same thing in the next chapter. He did the same thing with the blind man at Bethesda. And it's just beautiful what Jesus did. Jesus, I, I think leadership gurus will, 
I've almost convinced you that you need to keep away from keep away from people, keep away from things. But Jesus creates this culture of access that the most broken, that the most vulnerable, that the most isolated, those that have been living the most in, in the most serious places of rejection, Jesus creates this culture of access that they can come. Mark chapter 10. I love Mark chapter 10. Because all, again, Jesus was walking through and the crowds were, were cheering. The crowds were absolutely loving what was going on in their hometown. And then Jesus heard the shout of one. Jesus heard the shout of one and, and, and Mark's gospel tells us that he stopped. You can get caught up. You can get caught up in all that's going on caught up in your busyness, caught up in your summer program, caught up in your summer holidays, caught up in the distraction of the kids being off and miss the call, the cry of the one. But the example of, of the master, the example of savior, the example of Jesus is that in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of all the activity, he hears the cry of the one and he stops stopped and it was blind Bartimaeus this beggar at the side of the road and everybody had just got used to keeping him quiet you're a nobody, you're a nothing don't bother him, don't distract him he's busy he's doing incredible miracles don't you get in the way of this and Jesus stops and he brings life and wholeness to the beggar and Jesus offers this beggar he, he, he sees him how the father sees him he sees him as one of indescribable worth he sees him as one of infinite value it caused him to stop and it caused him to, to, to move through the crowd and get to the one And if it wasn't enough to keep going to do that in Mark, you could also do it in Luke. It's as much fun doing it in Luke. It gets to Luke 4. And many, were, many were healed, but in the midst of all the excitement, he goes and he heals the one. Luke chapter 7, he sees the widow and he leaves the crowd because he's so moved with compassion. We get to Luke 15 and the story of the one, the one sheep, the story of the one coin. And so, uh, so really simply, that's, that's all I'm, that's all I'm sharing this morning. I, we just want to go through this summer just sharing some stuff that we feel that he's doing in us and and, uh, and challenging us and, and provoking us with and laying that out for you as a challenge and, and just see what he wants to do among us and so I'm, 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 I'm really wanting to ask will you be will you be moved with compassion 
in the busyness of the summer and sometimes the, how, how busy your life can be. And I know you can be really busy and, and, and you don't have time to not take the phone call while you're paying for your petrol, but why not try it? I'm going to try, even in the busyness, to be, to be one that will be so moved with compassion. Will you? The guys that are in Tin House all the time, will you be so moved with compassion that you will just love on Tony this week? There's a, 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 for some, it's maybe just a family member. It's a family member that you just find difficult, that you find draining of your time. It finds that it's, it, it can be really exhausting be a neighbor it could be a work colleague but I'm asking you I'm asking you that will you be moved with compassion will you will you will it be said of you that he stopped will it be said of you that she stopped when everybody else had walked past when everybody else had dismissed when everybody else had ignored it was still said of Jesus that he stopped Will it be said of you? Will you be one that would be moved with compassion? Will you be one that would that would stop? And will you, are you willing? Are you willing to look at the beggar? Are you willing to look at the lonely? Are you re- willing to look at the rejected the way Jesus does? The obvious answer is yes. As, as, as good living people. The obvious answer is yes. As followers of Jesus has to be yes but actually saying yes to this question absolutely could transform your life it could absolutely wreck your life if you're able to truly answer that seriously the thought of of i I felt it happened to me in in the in the chip shop in port stewart this week trying to practice this young girl behind the counter just looked worn out just looked exhausted just looked sad and asking myself that question am I willing to look at her the way Jesus does and in that moment I find myself answering yes to that question and uh, I'm almost feeling bad that I, I, I never tried as best being nice and friendly and all of that. I'd love to say this, that I, that I went and I told her that Jesus absolutely loves her. Absolutely passionately loves you. I never did. But in that moment I asked myself, am I willing to look at her the way Jesus does? And, and, as, I'm, and as I'm taking my bag and walking out the door, I'm become aware that these people are thinking I'm weird because my eyes are well not beginning to feel tears in my cheeks because something in that moment it felt like I've caught something I want to be in that place all the time spent the rest of the day nothing like that happened but just sometimes in those moments where you where you have time you're in a chippy you're waiting and it's just time God am I willing to look at this person and see them the way that you see them something will happen something will take place if you're willing to do that As you begin to look at them the way he does, you'll be moved with compassion. And then you will inevitably one that will stop. And so, Father, uh, 
thank you and thank you for Jesus. Thank you that reminded John 14 that there's, there's no way to you but through, through him. Thank you that Jesus just perfectly reveals who you are. Perfectly reveals is the perfect imprint of your nature. Perfect revelation of your character. And thank you for what we see in him this morning. One that will be so moved. One that will be stopped. One that will never stop pursuing the one. And God, we just as, as ones that represent you, as ones that they take on the family name, as ones that are called to represent you on, on earth, God, that the same will be said of us. As we try to represent the Father, as we try to take on the example of our older brother, of Jesus. And what it be said of us that we see as you see, that we moved with compassion, that we are ones that will stop. As for your name, it's for your it's for your sake. We're doing it for you. We're doing it in obedience to what you've called us to. We love you. Thank you for how you so first loved us. Amen.